Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 18 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee smarter education. It feels really good to be back in the closet interviewing people. Roast West Coast is going to be finishing the season strong with two great interviews, starting with this one today with David Yardley of Moon Goat Coffee. Moon Goat has two locations in Orange County and has been around since 2018. You can check out at Moon Goat Coffee on Instagram if you want to see photos of the shops we're talking about, or if you want to take a friendly detour through roastwestcoast.com to get to those links, I won't complain. Today I'm drinking a natural washed Guatemala out of one of my favorite green mugs. I hope your favorite coffee cup is full too, because it's time for this interview with David Yardley of Moon Goat Coffee in Orange County, California, on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. That said, David, welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Uh, If you could do me a favor, let everyone know who you are and who you work for and, and what your role is there. Absolutely. My name is David Yardley, and I work for Moon Goat Coffee, And uh, I always joke that I do the job that nobody else wants to do. So, you know, handyman, uh, occasionally I roast a batch of coffee, but in all seriousness, my biggest and most important job is I kind of head up the coffee program. So I do all the green buying and I help set the training and make sure that we're brewing better coffee than we were yesterday and not as good as it will be tomorrow. What kind of coffee did you drink this morning? I had a cappuccino to start the morning. I was at one of our shops. So I love to drink a cappuccino, whether it's my shops or somebody else's, to help kind of understand what's going on. It tells you how the milk is being textured. It tells you how the espresso is pulling. So that's what I had this morning. And then I've definitely had at least a couple of cups of batch brew of whatever's been laying around since then less scientific on those. It's more just for the desired effect. Always good. Uh, We're talking late after or late morning rather. And I was thinking to myself, do I have time to brew another coffee or not? Should I run down the street? What should I do? And I decided to to do it myself today. So I'm very excited about that. I want to, uh, before we get into Moon Goat, thank you. Uh, Before we get into Moon Goat and everything that comes with it, I want to ask about you and just kind of learn a little bit about your coffee backstory, your life backstory. Was there some sort of experience with coffee that made you think, yeah, this is something I'm interested in? I think the first experience is not unique. I had an Ethiopia natural in about 2007, 2008 that made me change my mind about coffee for the first time. Uh, It was a uh, stump town Mordecoff, organic. I remember all those details. I have a picture of the bag still, you know, lurking around <laughs> because I, I already knew how to do pour overs and those sorts of things, but I just never had coffee that tasted that good. Uh, so that changed my mind. But that was like, I knew I liked coffee at that point. It was in 2013 where I had another epiphany. I went to UC Davis. Uh, they were doing their inaugural coffee science seminar to see if they were going to make a degree uh, on it. And I signed up for it. I told my boss, I'm taking uh, a week off 
impromptu, but I'm going for this. And she gratefully approved it. And I went for a week to UC Davis and, and then I took every class that I could on coffee science after that. And that was really when I knew it was going to go from like a hobby, a passion to a career. That's when I knew it was going to be nothing else. Were you working in coffee at the time where that was applicable or was it something outside of your worldview? Kind of. I was a supply chain manager for Starbucks. So I was in coffee, but not sp- I wouldn't call it specialty coffee. Even though I was on the siren retail side, the specialty side of Starbucks, Starbucks is more of a cult. You know, if we're talking about world religions of coffee, Starbucks is one of the the mini cults and it's a cult of personality that does not revolve around coffee quality. So uh, I would say specialty coffee is defined by quality more than anything else. And Starbucks is the opposite of that. It's defined by consistency and that's it, right? Was there a a point back then between 07 and 13 where you might have gone in a different direction and not been in coffee at all? Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I I was like, cool, I got this cool, you know, corporate job at Starbucks. I'm just going to like do the the hop, right? I'm going to jump from Starbucks to... Who knows? I'd probably be like a boring project manager for Amazon or something, right? It was like <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, I can, I can make projects come to life. That's all I was thinking. Uh, not I'm going to be in coffee specifically. So then, how get? Let's get a little bit of the history of Moon Goat. Then, um, yeah. you know, how did that come about? Was there another stop between Starbucks and where you're at now? You know, what totally. was that path to kind of this launch? And if I'm not mistaken, there were two original owners, Mark and also yeah. David. And yep, then where, yep. how did you come it's into still, that mix? They're still there. They're still there. Don't worry. They haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> but I'll try to give you the shortest condensed thing. So my first job when I was in high school was at a local roaster called Diedrich Coffee. And uh, it's the same brother of the guy who makes the roasters in Sandpoint, Idaho. Yeah, Martin. Martin and his, Martin. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he now has Keen Coffee, I believe. Southern exactly. California. Yep. He has Keen Coffee. Never worked for Keen Coffee, but worked for Diedrich Coffee. And I didn't know anything. It was just a local cafe. It was a place my sisters liked to hang out. So I was like, I'll get a job there, right? So my sisters are are older than me, my two older sisters. So they were the ones that are responsible for getting me kind of wanting to work in a cafe. I left there, had a couple jobs in IT. Great Recession happened in 2008, got laid off decided to get a job at Starbucks because one my old Diedrich's manager was at Starbucks. Worked my way up from being a barista to store manager and multi-store manager and then supply chain. And I thought, yep, going to parlay this for the rest of my career. Worked there for nine years. Left, I want to say around 2015, 2016. And I did a consulting project with Curtis, the brewing company, largely on a brewer that never came to life. I want to, I'm trying to remember essence brewers was what the name of it was. We called it the unicorn when it was R and D stages, we showcased it at one SCA and it never made it to real market, but it was really cool. Did cold brew. So that was a fun project. And I had a little bit of an engineering background because uh, my family has an engineering firm. So I knew a little bit of what I was doing in that uh, realm, but just through happenstance. And then from there, I just did uh, consulting and helped the family engineering firm until Moon got opened in, uh, in 2018. So a little bit of foggy years. 
Yeah. How did, how did you connect with Moon Goat then? Yeah. So it's actually my business partners. I never wanted to open a coffee shop. I was like the last person. You wouldn't have caught me saying, you know, anytime up until now that, oh gosh, I want to open up a coffee shop. I wanted to work in coffee. I wanted to have a career in coffee, but my business partners had a passion for making a cafe that had a big space and was open late and had good music scene attached to it. And currently Mungo does, and especially our Costa Mesa shop, our flagship shop, is uh, got over 100 seats. And we have events at least two or three times a week. And that's what my business partner, Mark, focuses on. And then I just make sure the coffee underlying that is actually high quality. So coffee and, and a little bit with the food as well. Um, and then our other business partner, Dave, uh, was awesome. He when Nobody's going to give you a loan when you're a startup as a coffee company. And he gave us a really, he really helped us on the finance side. Very cool. Uh, it, it's all in part, you know, where those connections meet and, and how you, you can find your way into a situation. You mentioned just something just now about the size of the space and, and you have two yeah. locations, I believe, yep. um, the one you mentioned and then Garden Grove. Mm -hmm. But having that big space, was that an advantage or disadvantage over the last couple of years, especially the first, say, two years of the pandemic? I would think it'd yeah. be helpful, but I also know the environment north of Camp Pendleton, say in Southern California, was different than it was south of Camp Pendleton. Sure, probably. It's so funny because even between Garden Grove and Costa Mesa, they're not that far apart. You know, as the crow flies, they're like seven miles. It takes like 20 minutes to drive those seven miles, but uh, <laughs> they aren't too far apart, yet the customers are totally different between them. Because we opened so close to COVID, in my mind as an operator, I was just making another pivot, just like all the other pivots we had made. So, you know, of course, it was a worldwide pandemic. I would never wish it happened again. However, it kept us flexible, just made us think about things differently. And having those big spaces, i if you had asked me when we started, I didn't even want spaces that big. But that's where having business partners can really help you stretch and grow. It helped me open my mind. And I think those big spaces were an advantage. However, that's where I would say like the smartest person in any organization is the we, not the one person. So that's where just relying on other people's strengths, expertise, and ability to help share that workload makes it possible and not just like, I'm not just some brilliant guy who thought about it, you know, a grand master plan. It takes a group, right? It takes a village. Sure. I, I can certainly appreciate that. I find it hard to trust part business partners. I've had some uh, rough goes of it in the past, but it's something that yeah. I'm actively working on because you can, I have always experienced that you go further with a group because yep. they see the things you don't. Yep. Go fast, go by yourself, go further, go with a group, right? Something like that. And, and I totally agree. I mean, it's, that's the hardest part is it is a relationship, right? And any intimate relationship, whether it's finances or romantic or whatever, it's complicated. It's really complicated. Oh, sure. My, my wife and I would joke about how my business partner and I were just as married as she and I were. We had joint bank <laughs> accounts. We had yep. you know, agreements. Yep. We were legally bound to each other. So it, it certainly was a, oh, yeah. a long process of dissolving those two things. Yes. My next question is the name Moon Goat. And I'll be honest, yeah. I only reached out to you in the first place because I saw the name and I thought, oh, I love the name. <laughs> Where does that come from? What does it mean to you? I mean, how did that, you know, become what it is? 
Well, what's funny is because when I joined the the company, we had a different name and it was terrible. I won't even say it on the podcast. I'll say it once once we're done recording, just so that everybody sends an email to ask me what it is. I'll, I'll reply <laughs> to anybody who sends an email to david at moongut.com uh, about what it is, but I'm not going to say it on the podcast. But when Mark, our other business partner, is like, hey, I got finally, I, this name came to me in a dream. It's called Moongoat. And I was like, that name's worse, <laughs> somehow worse than the bad name. Uh, but <laughs> he's like, wait, we've been talking about the history of coffee. Goats discovered coffee. We're going to be open late. You got the moon. They kept the goat herd up at night. There's the moon symbolism in the the Kaldi story. You know, the goats bleeding at the moon. And uh, it just came to me in a dream. We've got to call it Moongoat. And I was like, I don't, I still wasn't convinced, but then we had no better names. And so it stuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's moon goat one word, I believe, right? Like it it's is all one word. Match together. Everybody says it wrong, does it wrong. And it, we kind of love it. You just embrace it, you know? Interesting. So let's get to coffee then. Yeah. You're the one doing some of this cop- coffee operation stuff. You had yep. history as you mentioned, on the supply side of things at mm-hmm. Starbucks, giving you some insight yep. into how to source coffee and, and how those chains totally. work. How did you go about that into Moongo? What was your idea behind the coffee you're offering people? Was the idea that the cafe experience was was first or the coffee was first? Is it all in the same plane? You know, I'll let you kind of run with that how you will. Totally. Uh, I mean, my thought process was really on the supply side of coffee, I wanted to make a statement. That's probably like my biggest um, passion point is what we're able to do in specialty coffee today would not have been possible 10 years ago even, right? When I first started working at Starbucks, there wasn't the possibility to have direct trade relationships, to have the sort of communication we have with farmers and producers and uh, really, I think to tell that story, but also to preserve a product that is on the brink of extinction with the average coffee producer age being 63 years young or 64, depending on you know what year, and it's not getting any younger, right? So we've got uh, incentive as people who enjoy coffee to help you know, the younger generation pick up that, but also to make the job a better job for that younger generation. And I think we have that power with our purchasing, you know, I guess, dynamic and to do it in the right way. So I'm very passionate. And we even have a, I've got like a green coffee purchasing manifesto where I have like priorities and I keep us on track to that. Of course, it's all the boring things, right? Like we want to pay a better price. We want to do all the th- that stuff and super important, boring things, but also some creative things where we want to encourage farmers with biodiversity. We want to encourage uh, farmers who are using good water sources. We want to encourage, um, you know, locations that have uh, biodiversity or growing more than just coffee as a crop. So those are some of the like deeper things we have in in our green buying philosophy. Um, But that's my biggest passion. And everything kind of is an extension of that. So even how we present coffee in our shops, we have a pretty dark roast coffee. We have a milk-based espresso blend that may not be, it it may be a little deeper than some of our uh, specialty neighbors in terms of, of coffee choices. However, 
you know, you look at what a farm grows, they don't grow only micro lots. So you have to have a place for these producers to sell their coffee into multiple markets. And we don't, we're not all things to all people. We don't buy lower than 80 point coffee ever. We never have, probably never will. I guess never say never. However, we even try to think of for producers, where can you sell that coffee if you need help doing that in, in the right way? So we even partner with a couple of organizations that are nonprofits that use lower quality coffee than we do to help divert some of those things. One of them is called Growers First, nonprofit that does really great work in buying really low quality coffee for a specialty standard, but uh, helps a farm get sold out. Sure. You mentioned something that seems like a really big challenge in that you are encouraging or trying to encourage better working conditions, higher wages, biodiversity, extra efforts at the farm level. But you're yeah. based in Orange County. So how do you go yes. about doing that other than just making buying choices? Or is that really the primary way you do that? And, and obviously you work with growers first, but is there more to it than that? Totally. Yeah. Work with growers first donate to world coffee research we uh, do a pretty decent amount for every pound we buy i think we're at a quarter per pound which is i think higher than than their average match but by a good margin those are probably the two bigger picture things that we're doing however even just with our purchasing philosophy it's not us always going to these countries and auditing of farms practices it's sometimes helping producers come to the u.s to see how their product is finished. So our goal is for every visit we take to a producing country, we also want to take that same dollar allotment we would put towards that and use it to bring a producer or you know a group out here. And we've been successful with that in a few different countries. So that's been a really cool exercise for us. And just, I think, a little bit different than the typical green buying program. Because to me, it's like the technology is so good. When I'm on a coffee farm, I'm showing them what's going on with my roast curves, what's going on with uh, how we're packaging it, whatnot. But then we can do the opposite, have them come here, see that for themselves, see how it lives out. And then they show me pictures on the farm of what kind of trees they have, biodiversity, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's really interesting. I have not actually heard that from another roaster out of maybe 60 or 70 of these interviews. That's really interesting that you do that. <laughs> there you go. And it's the same travel budget, right? We we have like a small travel budget and we just use it both ways. Yeah. You use the term, uh, a big term, brink of extinction, um, and you mm -hmm. mentioned specifically age. Coffee is also facing climate changing or weather pattern changing that's affecting coffee. And on the other side of that, the demand for coffee in particular in China and India and other countries, is growing. How mm -hmm. is that going to impact you? How do you think about that uh, as a person who is buying coffee now? Yeah. I mean, and I have small purchasing power, right? Two containers a year right now. But, you know, we'll, we will hopefully continue to grow. That, that came out of buying, you know, trying to buy split bags from, from people at first, right? Or buying scraps. Uh, so we, we've grown a lot in our purchasing power, and I, I think we'll continue to. I think part of it will be good for specialty coffee because there won't be the $1 gas station cup of coffee in 15 years. I really don't believe that that's – I don't think that the, that the system will support that. So in some ways, 
some of those macro lens shifts will be good for our, the industry, that, the people that you're talking to, the, the coffee you're probably drinking, the coffee that I'm buying and the coffee that I'm selling will definitely get more expensive, more elusive, and that'll be good at first. And then I look down 50 years from now, and I'm not sure that we will really be able to drink coffee the way that we do. I, I think that it will be a much more special thing, whether you're in India, China, or the U.S. I just don't think that that coffee will be able to be as uh, large a cash crop as it currently is. So I'm looking even, you know, in terms of will people give up their daily fix? Certainly they will not. Uh, I would say in 50 years, you'll probably see a lot more drinkable cacao. You know, theobromine will give you that same kick in the morning. And cacao is a lot less prone to the extinction events that uh, coffee will have, or at least the decline in production that coffee will have. So, but I mean, that's like 50 years. We're not talking about, I'm not like a doomsday person who's saying like tomorrow, but it'll be gradual. It'll feel natural. You'll just wake up one day and your grandkids will be going to their local cacao bar instead of coffee bar. With those beans that you've received, which I believe you guys refer to as seeds on your website. We do. Uh, of beans. We try to. <laughs> I slip up though. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a habit. Earlier this year, I think you guys, you won a gold medal at the golden bean coffee competition. Is that right? Yeah. Well, silver, but still silver. I mean, thousands of entries and a dozen or so, you know, winners. So really proud of that, you know, like 5,000 entries and, and not a huge amount of women. Plus I can say it again. You you won silver medal at the Golden Bean Competition. <laughs> and we'll, we'll clip and edit. Yep. No, just kidding. Yep. But why did you decide to enter a competition and how is that different, you know, than the preparation just for the coffee that you're making every day? Totally. We didn't really approach it that different because we wanted to really see, you know, we knew that some people would totally make it a grain buying competition. How expensive could the coffee that they bought be? Our goal was to really just put our kind of daily drivers in that competition and see how it shook out. So we submitted um, six coffees and all six of them either got a bronze or silver. It wasn't our it wasn't our milk-based espresso blend. Don't don't get me wrong. It wasn't it wasn't our cheap coffee, but it was all of our single origins basically. And 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 a couple blends a couple of our seasonal blends and they all meddled, which was great to see. But even more important for us was to see how it stood amidst a, a group of, of peers. Some of them who had just amazing coffee, the, the companies that won Prairie Lily, like unbelievable roast profiles, great green coffee selections. Uh, they're, they're a true winner and it's a totally blind competition. So it was fun to be there and see how it's tasted and taste alongside some of the, the judges that actually made the final calls. All the roasters who entered kind of helped sort through the bottom of the barrel, get those out of the way. And it, it's a really cool competition. And it, it was just a litmus test to make sure we're doing our job right, you know, that we feel like it's actually happening the way that we want it to. Just talking about beans, I saw something on your Instagram just this week, I think. Well, I saw it this week called the Cool Beans Program. And it actually said, yeah. like, if you email David at moongoatcoffee.com, I'll answer your questions. Whenever you could yes. tell me what that is yeah, and why you would have coffee seeds in, in a freezer. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's I'm super excited about that. And it's been super successful. Uh, I thought I was going to have to like really muscle that program into people's, um, you know, lexicon or uh, I was really going to have to like do a ton of tastings to show people it was worth it. And it's been selling on its own, um, which has been amazing. We kind of modeled it after, you know, what it what does a restaurant do to sell their by the glass wines? So we have a menu that's separate. There's ten or so coffees on it. They're only available via pour over. You can't get them any other. We can't even get them as an ice pour over. We've dialed in one profile that works for them, and we use automated pour over machines, the Curtis um, Seraphim or Gold Cups. And they're great, uh, especially with their, they've got kind of like a clever dripper kind of design. It holds in the bloom. And then after there's more than an ounce of water sitting, it starts to dispense and you have fresh water flowing over. So you get really nice high extraction in a really short period of time under three minutes. So really like the way that they're extracted. And they're just the lots that we really can't justify filling an espresso hopper with or can't justify putting on batch fruit they wouldn't be appreciated even if we could sell them for the the same price we'd dump out too much so we 20 grams at a time in a test tube uh fully hermetic sealed you never get freezer burn more than even like a zipper lock or a vacuum seal bag because it's just such a tight seal and we're, we love it because it allows you to have those 10 different coffees without them going stale. We freeze them at the peak roast period. So whether it's five to 15 days off roast, we kind of taste it along the journey, freeze it at that flash point, and then offer it as pour overs. And, and we love it because you'll have a rare fermentation, a rare origin, what have you. We have an Ethiopia whoosh whoosh right now. We've got uh, really cool fruit fermentations from Colombia. Uh, we have Lorena, which is a naturally caffeine-free variety that grows in just a few places. So just fun coffees. So it's similar to like if you were to go to a, a fancy wine bar and they had their specialty wine by the glass only sort of option yep. is, is how I'm understanding yep. that, which based on what we were just talking about is kind of how I see some of the future of coffee as well is me too. maybe I'm not drinking as much coffee every day I'm making, but the coffee I am drinking is a, is a true luxury, which I don't know that everyone looks at coffee as a luxury item, but it really is. Nobody does, man. Everybody <laughs> thinks coffee. I bookmarked a silly TikTok video recently because I saw this guy and he's like, I judge the Italian restaurant that I go to by if I order an espresso at the end of dinner instead of dessert, if they don't give it for me to me for free. I'm never going back. And he's joking, some Jersey Shore guy. But it's like, that's what people's expectation is that coffee is free, right? Or coffee is a dollar, you know, not that it's this special thing, this magical fruit, you know, that grows nowhere where we enjoy it. And it's crazy, right? I only judge restaurants by the quality of their toilet paper. Because I believe that if they have good toilet paper in the bathrooms, they care about their employees. There you go. Perfect. That's I like that judgment. Yeah, you know, it's important because uh, you can save money on toilet paper. It's one of those things as a restaurant manager that I've experienced. Like that single ply is a lot cheaper than the good stuff. Way. Southern California and the Orange County in general in, in your region has been growing exponentially as a coffee zone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm in North County, San Diego. I can walk to five coffee roasters. 
like local coffee roasters and get a really good cup of coffee. Totally. How have you seen that in your area in particular? And do you see that growth continuing? And you had mentioned you guys are hoping to grow as well. What does that mean for you? I mean, for me, what I see that's exciting is not that our customers were stealing from another specialty coffee shop. I think we're stealing our customers from 7-Eleven, from a gas station, from their K-Cup at home. And I think most specialty shops are. I I think that that's the bigger market. When you look at 80% of adults in, in our area are drinking coffee at least once a week, you've got a huge marketplace, way more than any of our shops could handle. So I think it's just exciting to see. I welcome anybody who wants to jump into the specialty coffee market. Opposite of me, I never thought I wanted to open up a coffee shop. I encourage anybody who wants to to do it because uh, I don't think we're going to hit the limit anytime soon of what's possible within this space over the next few years. I think you you can put one across the street from another and we would interpret what we're doing differently enough that there's the pie is big enough for all of us to take a slice. If a couple, you know, 7-Eleven stops selling as much coffee or a Starbucks goes out of business, not out of business, but has to close one of their locations, uh, I won't sleep any worse than I did last night. I'll sleep like a baby. So, uh, (laughs) and I, and I even look at like generational shifts, you know, Starbucks is, to this generation, what 7-Eleven was to the last generation, and that it's a it's a convenience store. It's something that's convenient and easy. Yes, you can get caffeine there, but it's not any it's not special anymore. What about you've been in this industry now on, on various levels for what's almost 15, 16 years? Uh, yeah, some, yeah, more than 15. Some capacity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's something that surprised you or something you've learned kind of through experience that you take with you as you're looking forward into the future? Oh, man. I would say the thing that uh, the biggest thing is every job you have is more similar at no matter what industry you've been in. Because, you know, if I've been, I've been a server, you know, as a second job. I've worked at um, clothing stores during Christmas just to pay bills. You know, I've done all sorts of random things, right? And every job is more similar than it is different. And the one common thread is that if you can help influence people or help people find what they're looking for, basically customer service is something that exists no matter what industry or career you're in. So I would just encourage anybody, especially uh, I'm a coffee nerd, and I assume most people who listen to this podcast are as well. Uh, you know, you can't, you know, can't brush up on your people skills enough in order to set your future self up for success. So that would be like the one thing that I've learned is that yes, of course, like watching all the James Hoffman videos, you can help. But uh, at the end of the day, if you can convince somebody with the shortest sentence possible as to why they should be drinking better coffee or different coffee, uh, that will serve you better than knowing, you know, how to calculate extraction yield without a calculator, right? Sure. Well, and I think part of Mr. Hoffman's internet celebrity is because he's able to communicate and he's able to break down complicated coffee science projects for someone like me to understand, you know, who's not totally. 
a copy. No, no, I, I say that in that that should be required reading or or watching for everybody who is in the. Yeah, coffee I didn't industry. take it that way, but I think that idea that communication uh, between you and a customer, or you and a potential uh, you know buyer of your product, yep, is part of it, and you see that struggle on people who are so focused on one side of the business or instead of the other, and and you mentioned we could bring it back around having a business partner who picks up yeah. in the places where maybe you aren't as strong. That's the value, that's totally. a huge value add there. Uh, what yep. didn't we cover today about uh, Moongo <laughs> Coffee that we should know about or that you want to draw attention to? We're talking on Halloween yeah. and this show is going to be out in a few days. So it's very timely. Nice. You know, what's, uh, what, what, what did we miss? I mean, I love the, the things that you brought up. I, always take every opportunity to brag about the special coffees we have and the special coffees that we have coming up. But I guess the thing to stay tuned for in a few days, I'm trying to think what we've got that's coming out. We're doing uh, an in-house cryo desiccated coffee or freeze dried. Um, So I'm really excited about that. Uh, We partnered with- What does that mean? Like when when does the freeze drying happen? Part of it is we did in collaboration with the Chapman University's food science department. So really excited to have partnered with them and hired a couple of their their master's level students to, to help us kind of pioneer this program. So I'm really excited about that. It's nothing you would have even known about, but can tell you about <laughs> and tease just because it's something to me, our mission statement you know, kind of for us to know and, and to help us guide our, our decisions with customers is to make coffee better, easier daily. Um, and when we looked at where are we not doing that for our customers, it is in that like very entry level customer. How do we get that person off a of cake up? And so having uh, basically an instant option is the best way to do that because we tasted these companies that are doing actually really great work of making better K-Cups, but it's still not good enough, you know, for me to put my name on it versus freeze-dried. What we do is we extract a concentrate. Uh, We extract it cold, so it never has hot water touching it, uh, but under vacuum pressure. Um, So then that has a really great extraction yield. We're talking about always 23% extraction yield plus. Freeze-drying that concentrate and when you freeze dry that concentrate, you still have some volatiles. You still have some organics that are that have never been hit with heat. So when you hit it with water for the first time, it smells like a cup of coffee. So we're really excited about that. Some of the tricks that we do, you know, that that I should probably keep as trade secrets, but whoever's listening to this has earned it is, um, you know, we brew under vacuum. That vacuum's drawn with nitrogen, so it never sees oxygen. And then we vac seal the uh, liquid, freeze it into form, and then freeze dry it or cryodesiccate it. So it's a really cool process we kind of did in tandem with Chapman University. And really excited because that will launch, gosh, I'm looking at my the, the date, two weeks from now. So a week and a half after this podcast launches. So stay tuned. It'll come. Yeah, very cool. And when my mom comes out with that same product, you know, a year from now, you know where she found out about it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'm glad to give her the secrets. <laughs> uh, I started off the show by asking you what you had this morning, and I'm, I'm going yeah. to end the show the same way by asking, when you're not at work, 
when you go out into the world and you stop into some random coffee roaster on the side of the road, what do you order for yourself? <laughs> I mean, if it's before noon, I do like a tight milk beverage, a cappuccino of sorts. Um, and, and you know what? I'm the kind of person who usually orders two or three drinks, even just for myself. So, uh, you know, kind of see what they are proud of just by advertising or what they chose to wrote a copy line about or are trying to promote. So I'll usually order another coffee thing like that, whether it's a pour over a batch brew or cold brew, whatever it is that, you know, you go to Mostra and you can tell they like their cold brew. You can go to, you know, other places you can tell they like their single origin. So I, I like to just have a variety and I love to support local coffee shops. I still like going to them on a, on a weekly basis because when I go into my shop, I get hit with problems. And when I go <laughs> into somebody else's shop, I get hit with solutions. So I, I love supporting other places. David, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and just kind of sharing with everyone uh, about Moon Goat. And um, yeah, uh, thanks for being part of Craft Coffee. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad to be part of it. And there are so many people doing it so well. It's an exciting industry and kind of a baby of an industry in a way, just because, yeah, it's been around for a while, but gosh, the the leaps we've taken in the past 10 years have far outpaced, you know, have been exponential in comparison to the years previous. So. Okay, to recap. David's turn into specialty coffee began with a week-long seminar at the University of California, Davis. That seminar turned into an elective course, which turned into an entire coffee center facility, make that three facilities, where they're doing coffee research and developing coffee education programming at the undergrad, graduate, and continuing education levels. Moongoat's success depends on the skills of not just David, but his partners, and their team who all bring different skills and specialties to the table. I thought their effort to bring producers here to their shop in America instead of just taking origin trips was a great step forward in creating mutually beneficial coffee relationships. And their recent success at competition was born out of the desire to see where their coffee offerings stand against some of their peers. The medals at the Golden Bean competition would imply that they stand up fairly well. David mentioned split bags, which I wanted to define. It's just what it sounds like. It's where multiple roasters, often very small or micro roasters, purchase a sack of green coffee together and split the beans. More than just in the operations department, Moongoat is also pushing forward on coffee innovations. They have their cool beans offerings on the high end, and their soon-to-be-released instant offering being a driver to bring new craft coffee drinkers into the fold. There's plenty of room here. Finally, if you want to ask David a question about coffee or about those programs, you can email him at roast at moongoatcoffee.com. Okay, despite what might be implied, sometimes on this show, the cult of coffee isn't exclusive to aficionados or fanatics. The coffee community welcomes all. I'm going to share links and more about Moongoat in the Roast West Coast Coffee newsletter on roastwestcoast.com. On to some closing business. Speaking of that newsletter, did you know that this podcast is a listener and reader-supported creative effort? That's true. If you've been enjoying listening or reading, please consider subscribing. The podcast is always free, but the support that comes in through those paid subscriptions really helps us grow. Also helping the pod grow, 
are our coffee industry partners, including Café La Terre, Mosher Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and Ascend Coffee Roasters. They all have a bunch of really cool, crazy things going on, but a special congratulations to Moster Coffee on celebrating their 8th anniversary with the hugely successful Mosterland experience. I don't like telling people what to do, but you should mark your calendars for late October 2023 so you can get a jump on getting Mosterland 9 tickets. I have two last requests of you today. First, please go get your flu shot, your COVID booster, or even your first COVID shot. It isn't too late. Listeners of this show know that my amazing wife works in the school system with kids, mostly special needs children, and many of whom are considered at risk. Staying healthy and getting those shots helps prevent the spread of viruses, which in turn protects those kids and adults who don't have the benefit of strong immune systems, not to mention the rest of the human beings in your orbit. It's a very good thing. And second, treat yourself to a good cup of coffee, or a latte, or a macchiato, or espresso, sometime soon. I'm sure you've earned it. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.